Uh, Mike, Alan, what are your favorite Easter traditions? Al? I don't really have any. I like looking at men in floral t-shirts. Uh, I mean, <laughs> we didn't do, you know, well, we, were, a piece. <laughs> we were kids. Uh, I, I don't know, maybe because we were didn't have anything. We didn't do a whole lot. I, I tried to remember. <laughs> I was asking Al as far as I said, tell me about your Easter's growing up. He's like, I've got nothing. I got nothing. <laughs> I, I vaguely but I was remember the same Christmas, way. but I, it wasn't too much about Easter. We uh, we didn't uh, we didn't really. When I was a kid, I don't remember hiding eggs. I I remember hiding <laughs> a few times. Did we, they ever try to find you? Well, that well, that's the disappointing thing. When you hide, no one comes and looks yeah, for you. you that's spend a whole day hiding. That means they're not looking for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, so we didn't do a whole lot. But you know, we do a lot now. Now with, my, with my kids, we did Easter eggs, and uh, yesterday we had our big Easter egg hunt because of the weather. Same thing as you, Ryan. So, I mean, I, I was curious, though, because we've been, you know, I have the grandkids around a little bit, and, you know, this whole thing has been a little stir-crazy. I mean, have you guys discovered, you and Miranda, things that you can do to sort of engage your children during this uh, coronavirus? Absolutely. Well, one of the things that's been cool is our neighborhood, and I know many other neighborhoods, have done what's called a bear hunt. So they're putting little teddy bears in the windows of the houses. And then if you go on a bike ride or a walk, which we're doing a lot of that these days, uh, you go and look for the houses with the teddy bear. Uh, of course, um, uh, my, my wife is a healthcare worker, so we've had a lot of stuff come to our house as far as our neighbors egged our house. Uh, it's, kind of, it's better than being teepeed, amen? Uh, they, they set out eggs uh, all, over, all over our house for our kids to hunt, uh, and they were filled with candy. And, of course, one of them was empty. Uh, representing the empty tomb. So there's a lot of cool things that have gone on. What's been cool to see is all the neighborhoods kind of binding together and saying, look, we're all in this together. Let's find some things for us to do without having to uh, compromise our immune systems too. Yeah, I remember uh, with my kids as, when they were younger, uh, us, uh, you know, going with other family, usually Susan's brother Bruce's house and us uh, hiding eggs for the kids and them uh, looking for them and big hamburger cookout, that kind of thing, or we would do it with the Stevensons or usually, but it was usually the fun of being together. That was the thing I, re I remember the most as my kids are growing up. And Al, like you, uh, I instantly got three grandkids. Uh, you may have heard recently through heard. Josh and Beth adopted three kids and uh, they are one, three, and four. And so uh, this is our first time uh, to experience Easter with them, although we couldn't be with them. Uh, Josh sent us a couple of videos and Beth did of them coloring eggs and that kind of thing. And uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that time and really teaching them and talking to them about what it really means. Because I'll tell you what, in the world which we live in, it's exciting to me when you've got a message of hope uh, to people, even though they're in a world that's like we are right now. Uh, a lot of people are desperate and they're empty. Yeah, right. And yet there's really, we've got great news for them. Well, let's go to our uh, scripture reading uh, this morning from Faith Barnes. Thank you, Faith. Let's, uh, let's hear the word of God. Matthew 28, verses 5-8. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. 
Thank you, Faith. Uh, it's always great to hear the Word of God. Appreciate all of our uh, kids being involved in our uh, online services. Welcome to Easter Sunday. This is Super Bowl for preachers. I mean, we're ex- are you fired up? Guys? I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm excited. I mean, you can't help but it. But it's sort of like if the two teams showed up for the Super Bowl and then there's nobody at the stadium. That's kind of the feel, you know, here. So we're like, we got the empty stadium, but we know you're out there. Uh, so uh, happy Resurrection Day. We got our little skeleton crew here. Some of us dressed, as you see. Uh, some of us didn't. It's okay. I mean, I, I've, got, I've got the colors of uh, Easter on. Yeah, I, I mean, the, I went to big the blue. The best of Under Armour. Yes, that's, that's, that's right. what I love about Kelly. And, <laughs> you know, look, I, I now want to note it in the WFR, WFR Hall of Clothing. I'm sure there's one somewhere that I'm wearing a jacket today, and Randy Kirby is in the house in jeans. So that's all I'm saying. I want it noted in the record. Can you note that for me, Kelly? I'm I'm writing it down in these notes. Put it in the computer. We got it stored. We're going to dig that up someday in a time capsule, and everybody will be shocked. Uh, Yeah, that was, you know, we always kind of, what little new clothing we had, speaking of Easter traditions, we would always wear on Easter Sunday. So we didn't get a lot of new stuff uh, when we did. So that's kind of stuck with me. But it's been great. Uh, Our little skeleton crew that works up here is doing a fantastic job, making sure we get the word out to you every Sunday. So we want to thank them for that, too. And look, what a great opportunity in a time where people are feeling isolated and and uh, are feeling desperate in a lot of ways. You know, I I heard on the news uh, calls to mental health people because people were struggling went up 800 percent and uh, alcohol sales went up 55 percent. Now, I don't know what our state did, but I bet we're probably up there pretty good. We're probably already higher than everybody anyway. <laughs> but, uh, but that does tell you something. That does tell you that uh, people don't know what to do with their life sometimes right. when things change. When things get out of order, they don't understand really because they don't, they don't have a purpose. They lose that purpose. They lose sight of what they really need to be about doing. So this this kind of current culture uh, it's been said that we're fighting this invisible uh, enemy and this invisible uh, battle that's going on with this coronavirus uh, reminds us some of uh, some scriptures and some things uh, uh, that God has said to us. The one that uh, comes out, uh, first of all, is in Ephesians 6, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So as believers in this in an unseen realm and, and enemy, we know that we must battle with some spiritual armor of God. So, you know, really we have the advantage. I mean, this is on the idea of an invisible enemy is on our home turf. Uh, we've known this all along, right? Because we understand things. So I thought it was interesting, Mike, that the things we're, that you hear every day, if you're if you're listening uh, for the for the guidelines for how to deal with coronavirus, social distancing, masking, washing of hands, don't go to work. I mean, those are things to try to keep the virus from spreading. We get it. We're practicing mm-hmm. it. But when you think about it on a spiritual warfare side, we're sort of just the opposite. Instead of social distancing, we're spiritual unifying. I love the verse in Hebrews 10:24 that talks about let us spur one another on to good deeds, encouraging one another, loving one another, continuing to meet together. That's what we're doing by this. We're saying we want to keep unifying each other. I love the stuff that's going back and forth on Facebook. So, so Chelsea, 
Uh, hello, Chelsea, and daughters of Chelsea uh, from Nashville. I know she's recently discovered her faith, and she's been communicating some with Talisa and I. And she's loving, you know, this idea of the Facebook and learning the WFR family. So she sent me a note this week, and she said, I want to be a part of the WFR family, and I want to be a greeter just like Clay McConnell on Facebook. So, Clay, dude, you're you're the Frank McVeigh in the digital world. You know, you got to get <laughs> your right. hat, I guess. you got to get your Frank <laughs> hat to be able to, you know, complete right. the thing. That's right. But that's the idea. That's what we're doing. We're unifying together. And instead of masking, we're unmasking. Uh, you remember that great verse in Second Corinthians 3? All of us with unveiled faces mm. reflecting the Lord's glory that is ever increasing. So while people are having to wear masks to go to the store and to, to move around town, we're, we're pulling off that mask spiritually and saying, look, we're reflecting the glory of God. We have the advantage. Mm. Yeah, and the, and the washing of hands that everybody's emphasizing, which, by the way, keep that up, Absolutely. keep doing it. Absolutely. Uh, in Hebrews 9, 14, we have the cleansing, but it's something else. It's cleansing of our uh, conscience. That's right. You know, uh, matter of fact, that's one of the things the New Testament writer says that baptism does. It's a, it's a, a clearing and a cleansing of our conscience. That's right. And uh, then there's this stop working, stay home idea. And yet Ephesians chapter 2 says we're always working. In That's the right. kingdom, and so uh, those are some, are some just kind of parallel type things that it's easy to notice in Scripture. And uh, as people who preach the Word of God, the Passover was a great time—a great time of celebrating deliverance. Uh, the cost of the cross that we talked about last week. Uh, uh, just reading back through the story always moves me again. Just to go to the Bible, reread. The crucifixion and what it cost uh, for me to have salvation, and that emphasis on Jesus. It, I think it's real easy Al, for people to lose focus mm-hmm. uh, and to uh, kind of get off track, even in the middle of something like this. You think it would draw people to be more conscious of God, but sometimes they get so focused on the illness or the disease or the virus itself and what they can or can't do. They lose sight of what's really most important in life. Well, and I think this week has been the perfect example uh, of people talking about, obviously, the virus. But then also, I see so much out there about Easter and about Good Friday. I mean, I am thrilled that, you know, you can watch The Passion of the Christ on Fox Nation, you know, which is typically just news, you know, or, or stories. And here it is. They're saying, no, wait a minute. This is a time when we should be looking to something greater. Or Franklin Graham, our, our pal. Is in is today is doing the Easter message from Central Park because they had the wherewithal to set up tents there to be able to help people. So I love it that the world, much of the world, for the first time, some are actually talking about the resurrection and the cross of Christ. Mike and I were telling this morning we kind of grew up in a culture and a tradition that you know you don't talk about. We're we're resurrection Sunday every Sunday, so we're not going to make anything special out of Easter. Mm -hmm. There's a Greek word for that kind of thinking, Mike. It's called stupid because (laughs) we have an opportunity to be out front proclaiming. So I'm excited about that. We should be telling people about that. Look, this is our time because this is the Lord's time to make a difference in the lives of people. So that gets me fired up. Well, in Christ, we uh, understand our purpose. And as believers, we embrace uh, the power that we have through Jesus Christ. And we, we don't, look, we don't have anything in and of ourselves that make us special. No Christian does. We're all just saved sinners we're just one beggar telling another beggar where to find the bread of life. That's exactly right. Uh, and yet because of the good news of the gospel and because of the grace of God, 
we have something to give to the world because it was given to us free of charge i can't be good enough i can't earn it i don't deserve it yet god has allowed me to find salvation be a part of his family and then on a day like this be a part of, of having a voice that shouts out he is risen that gives hope to the world so the first thing this morning we're going to talk about is the purpose of the savior because we have to understand, we talked about that last week. We talked about exactly why Jesus came. And, I, and we want to begin today by reading 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 1 through 4. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. Purpose. For what I received, I passed on to you as a first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scripture and that he appeared to apostles, to James, to Peter, I mean uh, to Paul, to 500 brothers at the same time. So the idea is that Paul's reminding us this is the purpose that we live by. And quite simply, Jesus has told us he came here to die. He came here to sacrifice himself for us. That was his purpose. Yeah. And you know, Al, uh, something else I get out of this verse, I think that sometimes people miss, it's it's the story of the death, burial, and resurrection. We get that. But he says it's of first importance. And I've, I've seen a variety of religious groups make, make everything first importance beside the gospel. And I think that, that's a tragedy. Right. We get wrapped up into so many different religious arguments about things that really don't matter. The thing that matters most is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Right. And so the greatest command, love God and love others. Uh, uh, needs uh, needs to motivate us to spread this message of first importance. Right. And so it's always our goal to preach the greatest news in the spirit of the greatest command. And, you know, it's important that every aspect of it, we, we talked last week about the cross and the idea of it, and it was, it was cruel and excruciating, and it's difficult to talk about, read about, and certainly to watch, you know, these depictions that are made of it. And yet, that's exactly why he came and what he had to do. It's also very important to understand why he was buried for three days, because a lot of people are like, why? Why buried for three days? What was happening? Where did he go? And all these questions that ring out of that. But think about it. It was necessary for the burial to prove the death. That's why he did it. To prove that he had died. There's a whole theory that's still going around. It's been going around for 2,000 years. The swoon theory. That you didn't really die on the cross. He just passed out. And therefore, when he was up walking around, people were like, oh, no. that's you know." But that's why he went into the grave for three days. And we think about when you read Romans 6. When we're buried you know, with him in baptism, his death, burial, and resurrection, you see the same thing. It proves that we're dying to ourselves. We're dying to sin. And out of that comes this new life and this new, you know, resurrected person. And so it's this exact same thing. You have to have a proof of your commitment. You know, another, uh, you mentioned the swoon theory. Also, some people wanted to try to put forth the idea that somebody stole his body out of the ground. Right. And uh, I love the very simple fact that if you're going to steal a body, are you going to take the clothes off the body and fold them neatly and leave them there on the ledge? I mean, have you ever thought about that? Yeah. He took his cl the clothes off, the burial clothes, folded them up, and laid them there. You know, the only I, person I agree with that is my wife because she's always fussing at me for just leaving mine on the floor. So <laughs> right. I guess in the resurrection even, right, she's going to have a clean house. But he also needed to prove there had to be an empty tomb. There had to be an empty grave because you think about all the world's religions, all the people that they look to, 
they all went in the ground and didn't come out. And so the one thing that makes us unique and different is that our God, the God of the heavens, the God of the universe, came here to die for us, a excruciating, terrible death, three days in a tomb, but he came out to prove. And he, and he showed himself to people so they would know. But it was interesting. He just showed himself to a select group of people and said, now you go tell. And that's part of what we're doing is carrying on that tradition of talking about it. I love 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty six. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then I love this next word in the Bible, therefore. And that means that because of this victory now, he's given us something to do. So there's, there's power in the resurrection. We, we see Jesus' purpose to die to save us from our sins. But there's power in that resurrection story. Uh, Paul told the Corinthians, and, and us by the way, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the fuel for everything we believe as followers. Right. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is fuel. You are still in your sins. Look, if, if there's not a resurrection, then, you know, eat and marry and, and, and be happy and, and do whatever you're going to do because nothing matters anymore. Right. But the fact is, the grave was empty. And so there's power in the empty grave. You know, it's interesting to me what you just said Mike because you think about it you know people that have no faith don't believe in God whatever they should be the most laissez-faire about this whole situation they should be not worried about anything and who cares we're just going to live and eat and die so you know let's just have a good time but that's not what I'm seeing is that what you're seeing I mean what I'm seeing is a lot of fear mm -hmm. a lot of people worry because oh no what's going to happen but see that's part of our resurrection empowerment weapons is what I call them and the first one is is that we can live without the fear of death you talk about a game changer mm -hmm. if I can live without worrying about dying what kind of person is that going to make me I'm unstoppable I mean I don't care if I get the virus yeah. and it kills me because I know I'm going to walk out of that grave so that's the power that God gives us. I love what Hebrews chapter 2, the children have flesh and blood, just like he shared in our humanity, so that he may break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. There's our invisible enemy. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. And so I see that going on around me every single day. I watch people and, look, I don't want to minimize people's fears, but I want them to hear what we're talking about today, and I want you to tell them. We don't have to be afraid of death. We have been freed from that. And that's what Paul said when he wrote to Timothy. He, he told him that God has not given us a spirit of fear, right. but of power, of love, and of sound mind. But not only do we live without fear, we live with hope. Mm -hmm. In 1 Thessalonians 4.13, we don't grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. See, when, when death hits us, we know there's something beyond the grave in Romans 4:18 against all hope Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations just as it had been said to him so shall your offspring uh, be Hebrews 11 says that Abraham had reasoned that God could raise his son from the dead you remember uh, Alan that story when Abraham takes his son Isaac and they go and get ready to go up on the mountain he's going to has every intention of killing him sure because God's asking to right. And right before they head up the mountain, he turns to his servants and he tells them, I and the lad will go and I and the lad will return. Yeah. Yet he had every intention in his mind 
of killing him. And I love the idea there because it's not that Abraham's hope is that please don't make me do this. His hope is he knows he's going to do it. The hope is, is that you're going to resurrect him from the dead. That's why it says against all hope, in hope he believed. That's powerful. Mm. I mean, think about it. We're not just hoping I don't get something. We're knowing in hope that we can live beyond. That's what faith does. Faith fuels hope and hope fuels love. So we live without fear. That's one of our great weapons. We live with hope. And the third thing we live with is a full assurance of salvation. And don't underestimate that one. That's the big one. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe that in your heart that God raised him from the dead, there's a resurrection, you will be saved. And that's now and forevermore. We know that because Romans 8, 1, therefore, my favorite word, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Those are the weapons that we fight our invisible enemy. This now, of course, taking down people's hearts and minds with another invisible enemy. We should show them we have a toolbox full of things that can help. And you know, uh, I think that's one that Satan really uses against us. If he can get you to, to doubt your assurance, and he can get you to think, I may, I may, I may not be right with God all the time, that's right. then you don't have any good news to share with anybody. Exactly. Because uh, what are you going to go tell someone? Hey, look, come, come on and believe what I do, and maybe you might make it, <laughs> you know? Uh, uh, so it's, it's not that at all. We have the full assurance because of the gospel. But so we see the, the purpose of Jesus in dying for our sins. We see the power of his resurrection. So what does that mean to the people who understand this gospel? What does it mean for us? For this purpose and power are only relevant if it's understood and used by his people. That's right. And so, as God's people today, we need to have the same purpose and power as we've seen take place in the people of God who looked into the empty tomb. It's the people of God who started the church in the book of Acts. That kind of excitement and that kind of zeal because there's something good going on because of the resurrection of Jesus. And it's always focused on the folks. I mean, that's the whole point of everything. Religion, I say that in quotes, throughout human history has missed that point many, many, many times. Because a lot of times it would focus on, and then you can fill in a blank of whatever, law, rules, uh, status, leaders, all these different things. That's why religion fails so often when you forget about people. Jesus was just the opposite. When Jesus came and he showed up, it was always about these individuals. And so you read about the Gospels, it was always that direct link. In fact, he would be criticized by religious leaders because he was connecting with the sinners and the castaways. I love what Peter said in 2 Peter 3, 9. He is patient, Christ, God, is patient with you, the person. Not wanting any one, you, the person, to perish, but every one, you, to come to repentance. That's how we become gospel people. And then we can never forget what our role and job is to do. You know, Mike, what I love about the book of Acts is it's just story after story after story of some individual or his household or his family or her family finding Christ. Acts 9, uh, you know, here you got this religious leader who thought he had everything right. In fact, he was going against God in every way, who finally one day he hears this voice that says, Why are you persecuting me, son? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus of Nazareth. And it changed his path. Mm -hmm. He even became a different person. Oh, yeah. And can you imagine his testimony 
which is what they heard. And yet some people were still scared of him. They weren't sure he really changed that sure. much until after they saw the evidence of his life. And then there was Cornelius. Remember this Roman centurion in Acts chapter 10. Mm-hmm. Now, what's interesting about this guy is he's a guy of prayer. He's praying daily. He's a guy who's given uh, money to the poor to help in his community. So he looks like a good guy. And, I mean, there are a lot of people I think that are like that right now. They're moral. They have some good things happening. They're even prayerful. And yet, he wasn't right with God yet. That's right. And so uh, Peter comes to him and shares with him the story of Jesus. And the gospel pricks his heart. And then he and his whole household are baptized in Christ, receive the Holy Spirit. And so uh, I think it's easy in our world for people to think, I'm a pretty good guy. I give to help uh, other people. Uh, I'm prayerful. I, I go to God. I talk to God in prayer. But somehow or another think that that's enough or that makes them right with God. When when actually it's the story of the death, burial, resurrection that pricks their heart that makes them right with God. That's the grace of God. You and I just cannot be good enough to take care of our sin problem. can only be taken care of by the cross. And I love it that you never know when God's not going to open a, a complete door through you. You as an individual, through your family. Cornelius was just, you know, he finally was listening to God and said, what do I need to do? He didn't realize he was the first Gentile to become a part of the New Testament church. He didn't know that was such a big deal. We look back on it. That was a big deal. But he was just a man willing to listen. Uh, Another one I love is the Ethiopian treasurer, you know, the eunuch we call him in Acts 8. We don't even know his name. The Bible just says, yeah, yeah, the guy from Ethiopia. But you know he went back impacted and changed because he submitted to the gospel of Christ. And so these are just a few examples of so many in the Bible that finally submitted their lives to Christ. They were lost. They were destined for death. They were living in fear. They were wondering about their purpose. And then all of a sudden, because of Jesus Christ, they had salvation. They had empowerment. They had hope. They had endless love because they had accepted the grace of Jesus Christ. Now they had a purpose. Now they were empowered. And they became people that impacted culture and made a huge difference. And how exciting it was to be a part of that story in Acts. I think sometimes I I look back and I think, well, if I had lived back then, if I had physically seen the things that they saw, I'd be much more on fire for God. But you know, people, they're not that day. They saw it and they rejected it. And so I think people still do. But we see it clearly in the Bible. But you remember Christ, when he said that he was going to build his church. Now his church is not some building, obviously. His church is not some just mystical idea up in heaven somewhere. His church is his people. And it's the family of God. And he said, he's going to build his church. And remember, out the gates of what? Gates of hell. Gates of hell won't stand against it. And I think our church, Christ's church, with the message of the gospel, we need to understand how powerful of a thing that is. A pandemic cannot stop the church and the message of the gospel. Persecution couldn't stop it. Impoverished conditions couldn't stop it. War couldn't stop it. Dark forces of evil couldn't stop it. Intellectualism couldn't stop it. Atheism couldn't stop it. Socialism couldn't stop it. Communism couldn't stop it. Kings couldn't stop it. Religious leaders couldn't stop it. Satan couldn't stop it. And death, of all things, cannot stop it because he is risen from the dead. Jesus. 
Amen. <laughs> I mean, they had to have a curt line. Sorry, Al, you about to oh, preach man, the vein, You know, I'm, I'm close enough to him where I can see the vein popping out on that one. That's the preaching. I love it. That's why we're excited to talk about this. This is the core and the power of who we are. And Mike is exactly right. We will not be overcome. Hell itself cannot stand against us and what we know. So the question is today, as we sort of begin to wrap up this Easter message for you, as you're there in your bathrobe, uh, or what, you know, however you're participating this morning. I heard Randy Kirby had a bathrobe that looked like a suit, so I don't know if that's even true, but that's what I heard. Um, as you're sitting there and you're looking inward to your own life, are you seeking and understanding your purpose in your following of Christ? It's very important. Uh, Mike's right. Cornelius was a good guy, but he didn't know Jesus. There's a lot of good people, but if you don't know Jesus, that's how you get off the planet alive. So as we want to live an empowered, resurrected life, we have to realize that in Christ we are victors. Revelation 12, 11, right? We overcome by the power of our, the blood of the Lamb and our testimony and that we wouldn't love this life so much that we would shrink back. You're a star in the universe, Philippians 2. I mean, that's shining to show other people. You know how that started? It said, we live by, without arguing and complaining. Mm. There's a great verse for any of us, right? You're a co-heir for the universe, Romans 8, 17. Think about how powerful that is. The one that owns the universe, we're co-heirs with him. You are a holy temple housing the spirit of God. That's how powerful we are as sons and daughters. And we should be excited about that. You have the fuel of faith, hope, and love. So the question is this morning is where do you stand before the Almighty? If you're a child of God... The only thing left to do is wait. I mean, we're, we're going to be active sharing our faith. We're going to be active trying to get folks in on the kingdom. But in terms of Jesus, what we're doing, we, we already recognize that his grave is empty. Now we're waiting on him to come again, again and empty all the graves. And I think what a great day that will be. You know, when he writes this whole chapter in 1 Corinthians 15 about the resurrection... I want you to listen to how Paul closes uh, this, uh, this chapter. After proving he's raised from the dead and that the message is, is such a powerful thing, he writes this in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Amen. And I want to close with a passage from Philippians 3, verse 20. Because this is, in my waiting, this is the way I look at my life. My citizenship is in heaven. And I eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform my lowly body so that I will be like his glorious body. What a great way to close our idea of Easter Sunday, of the resurrection, of the life that we live in Christ. I pray blessings upon you today that you will know and love and realize how powerful you are as a son or daughter of God.